MSW Media. Big shout out today to Helix Sleep. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, October 31st, 2023. Today, Judge Chutkin has denied Trump's bid to stay his limited gag order in the D.C. coup case. Republican Glenn Youngkin purged over 3,400 voters from Virginia voter rolls and then lied about it. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton's fraud trial date is set for April 15th. George Santos has a trial date, too, September 9th of next year. Federal agents are forced to tackle a January 6th defendant after he's remanded to jail for threatening agents and prosecutors. A former North Dakota state senator has been indicted on federal child pornography charges. The United Auto Workers have reached a deal with General Motors. And Ivanka Trump helped her dad lie about his net worth. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody. Happy Halloween. Dana will be back tomorrow. I'm so happy. I miss her so much. Thanks for hanging in there with me all this time she's been gone. We have a big show today. I'll be speaking with Lee McGowan. You know her as a politics girl. And Brian Tyler Cohen. We're going to talk about their live podcast in Madison, Wisconsin this Friday, November 3rd. And I'll also be speaking with White House National Security Deputy Spokesperson Sean Savett about funding our allies. We will have a patron happy hour on Friday, November 3rd, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern. And later in the week, we'll be talking to Harry Dunn. We're going to discuss his book, Standing My Ground. And of course, the host of Tell Me Everything on Sirius XM Progress, John Fugelsang, will be here this Friday and every Friday going forward for Fugelsang Fridays. Thank you so much, everyone, for donating to the opponents of the Biden 18, that MSW Media Fund we set up raised over $50,000 over the weekend. You can chip in at swingleft.org slash fundraise slash how we win 2024. Every dollar helps to flip the extreme MAGA House of Representatives. We must ensure they are not in power on January 6th, 2025. All right, we got a couple of quick hits. And to make a long story short, first up, Judge Tanya Chatkin has reinstated her limited gag order on Donald Trump, preventing him from influencing witnesses or attacking prosecutors, court staff or their families. This is in the federal D.C. coup case brought by Jack Smith. Trump has already violated his gag order in the New York Attorney General civil fraud trial twice and has been fined a total of fifteen thousand dollars, which has been paid. Let's see how long he lasts under this limited gag order. And don't expect him to be thrown in jail if he violates it. Uh, She denied the Department of Justice's request to modify his bail conditions to include the terms of the gag order. Jail is a remedy, but that comes down the road after several levels of fines. I imagine that is what's going to happen if slash when he violates it. And Andy and I will discuss that on the next episode of Jack coming out next weekend. You, if you haven't listened to this week's episode, dude, it's funny. Andy is funny. All right, next up, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton's state fraud trial has been set for April 15th. It had been delayed by, among other things, his impeachment trial in which he was acquitted. April 15th, he goes to trial. And George Santos has been arraigned on his superseding felonies, and his trial date's been set for September of next year. Pete and I will go over that on tomorrow's episode of Clean Up on Aisle 45. 
And General Motors and the United Auto Workers Union have reached a tentative agreement, they said on Monday, with its members winning record pay hikes to end six weeks of a coordinated strike against the Detroit three automakers. The accord follows deals reached in the last few days by the union with Ford Motor Company and Chrysler-owned Stellantis in what amounts to significant victories for auto workers after years of stagnant wages and painful concessions made by the union following the 2008 financial crisis. All right, that is long story short. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, first up from Laura Vozella at The Post. Governor Glenn Youngkin's elections team has admitted in the run-up to pivotal General Assembly elections, it removed nearly 3,400 qualified voters, qualified voters, from the state's rolls, far higher than the administration admitted, which was about 270. Election officials under Youngkin acknowledged what it called the mistaken removal of about 3,400 voters in a news release Friday, five weeks after early voting began for November 7th General Assembly elections. The outcome will determine the viability of Youngkin's last-minute presidential prospects and the fate of his conservative legislative agenda, which includes banning most abortions after 15 weeks. The news release claimed that local registrars had already reinstated all but about 100 of the voters, all of whom had been convicted of felonies, had their voting rights restored, and then went on to violate the terms of their probation. The state's computer software had erroneously counted the probation violations as new felonies that disqualified them from voting. That's according to administration officials. Sure. Administration officials were initially dismissive of the problem. Uh, when public radio station VPM first identified it in September, but they announced in early October that there were about 270 voters that were mistakenly removed. Even that smaller number was enough to prompt Democratic Senators Mark Warner and Tim Kaine of Virginia to seek a federal investigation. In a letter, they urged U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland to probe whether the administration's purge violated the Voting Rights Act. Now, the 3,400 figure has heightened those concerns. Although that number represents a tiny fraction of the state's nearly six million registered voters, control of the state House and Senate could come down to a handful of very tight races that in some cases are decided by a vote or two. More broadly, Democrats say the administration's shifting accounts cast doubt on the intentions and competence of Yunkin, who won the governorship two years ago, promising to bring election integrity and business world management savvy to state government. Quote, I've been calling it weaponized incompetence. That's Aaron Muckerjee, a voter protection director of the Democratic Party of Virginia. First, they said it was not a problem at all. Then they said it was a small, very contained problem. Now we've learned it's a massive problem. I think it goes to the point that this administration can't be trusted with the voting rights of Virginians, unquote. Youngkin has asked the state's inspector general to investigate the removals, as well as the administration's preliminary findings that an unknown number of people who'd had their rights restored may have been allowed to stay on the rolls in the past after subsequent felony convictions. Virginia is one of a handful of states that limits voting access after a felony conviction. The Commonwealth permanently disenfranchises those guilty of violent or nonviolent felonies unless the governor restores their civil rights. Youngkin's three immediate predecessors, one Republican, two Democrats, took steps to automatically restore rights in at least some cases once their sentences were complete. Youngkin has reverted to a stricter policy requiring each person to file an application that the administration considers on a case-by-case basis with no publicly disclosed criteria. Youngkin's election team has drawn scrutiny for other problems, too, including major backlogs in processing motor voter registrations in October of 2022, just ahead of the midterm congressional races. 
The Elections Department blatantly sent two batches of motor voter registration applications to local registrars for last-minute processing, 107,000 in the first batch and 149,000 in the second. The department blamed computer problems with the state's long-troubled voter registration system, which is known as VERIS, V-E-R-I-S, and dates back to about 2007. In May, Yunkin pulled Virginia out of the Electronic Registration Information Center, a data-sharing group that red and blue states alike relied on for the past decade to keep voter rolls updated before election deniers made it the focus of criticism. Virginia has been a founding member of the group under Republican Governor Robert F. McDonnell. All right. Sounds to me like that's the only way they can win. And, you know, I'm going to talk about that a little bit with Brian Tyler Cohen and Lee McGowan later in the show. All right. Next up from Scott McFarlane at CBS. A physical altercation broke out during a hearing Monday in the case of Vitaly Goschankowski, a defendant convicted of several charges related to the January 6th attack on the Capitol, resulting in toppled tables and multiple federal agents subduing the defendant to the ground. Judge Paul Friedman of the U.S. District Court of the District of Columbia ordered Goschankowski jailed for a series of recent doxing threats targeting federal agents. Moments later, Goschankowski stood and fought with agents who tried to handcuff him and take him into custody. Goschankowski, who appears to stand about six foot three inches tall and is exceptionally muscular, pushed, tugged and toppled the officers before careening into a nearby podium and tables. Agents from elsewhere in the courthouse ran to the courtroom to help four U.S. Marshals and FBI staff corral Goschankowski, who has a hearing disability. Goschankowski was found guilty on several charges in his January 6th case earlier this year, including assaulting police officers. Prosecutors had asked a judge to jail him immediately ahead of sentencing due to a series of threatening Instagram posts in which Goschankowski allegedly targeted and released private information about FBI employees. Now, just before the outburst and the fracas by Goschankowski, Friedman ruled that the social media posts were extremely troubling and dangerous, echoing recent arguments over gag orders in former President Donald Trump's cases. The judge says it's rarely people in public life themselves who pose a threat to judges and agents, but rather their followers. Now, Friedman said the threatening posts are not protected by the First Amendment. He alluded to other federal judges in Washington who have been targeted recently and needed round-the-clock security. Gosh, Jankowski was eventually removed from court and taken to the D.C. jail. His sentencing date has not yet been set. I think he should face additional charges for resisting. And from Jim Monk at KVRR Local News, Raymond E. Holmberg, who was North Dakota's and one of the nation's longest serving state senators until he resigned last spring, has been indicted on federal child pornography charges. The charges, filed October 26th and unsealed Monday, come two years after police and federal agents raided the 79-year-old's home in Grand Forks after an investigation showed Holmberg had traded scores of text messages with another man who was jailed on child pornography charges. Mark Fries, a criminal defense attorney with the Vogel Law Firm in Fargo, is representing Holmberg. Assistant U.S. Attorney for the District of North Dakota Jennifer Puhl is prosecuting the case for the U.S. government. A federal grand jury charged Holmberg with two counts. The indictment against him claims Holmberg traveled to the Czech Republic for the purpose of engaging in sex with a minor. That's the legal terminology, mind you. And that he knowingly received child pornography. Court records show Holmberg's offenses took place between June of 2011 and November 2016. Now, Nichols Morgan DeRosier, the man Holmberg was accused of communicating with, while DeRosier was in jail, he pleaded guilty to seven counts of possession and distribution of child porn in September. 
Besides the texts, there are a number of connections between DeRozier and Holmberg. In a previous evidentiary hearing in the case, it was revealed that DeRozier's former landscaping business partner had been killed in a worksite accident while the two were clearing snow at Holmberg's residence. Hmm. Authorities said DeRozier was operating a front-end loader that ran over his business partner multiple times. Months later, the North Dakota Attorney General's Division of Consumer Protection and Antitrust issued an order of injunction to prohibit DeRozier's landscaping company from doing business, and DeRozier was overheard by investigators on the phone with the AG's officer trying to arrange for a meeting in Bismarck at the time when Holmberg needed to be there so that they could ride there together. This is like really like Fargo-level stuff. Holmberg was one of the legislature's most powerful lawmakers for decades, serving as chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee. He chaired the Legislative Management Committee four times. The Republican legislator was first elected to his seat, serving Grand Forks in 1976. Holmberg has entered a not guilty plea to the two federal child porn charges, child sex tourism and receipt of child pornography. An initial trial date has been scheduled for December 5th of this year in U.S. District Court for the District of North Dakota in Fargo. Holmberg was released and will be on electronic monitoring. If he's convicted of these charges, he could face up to 50 years in prison. And from Dan Alexander at Forbes. This is the journalist, by the way, that narked out Alan Weisselberg for lying on the stand in the New York Attorney General's civil fraud trial about his involvement in the valuation and size of Trump's triplex apartment. So this story reads, Ivanka Trump is expected to testify Friday. By the way, that's been changed to November 8th or 9th, depending on when Donald Trump is done. She's going to go after her dad in the $250 million fraud case that the New York attorney general is waging against her father and his associates. That's bad news for Ivanka, who tried to get out of taking the stand. But it might even be worse for news for her father, who employed Ivanka in his years long con to convince the world that he had more money than he actually did. The attorney general will have plenty of questions for Donald Trump's eldest daughter. Ivanka helped lead the acquisition of two assets at the center of the lawsuit, the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C., and the Trump National Doral Golf Resort in Miami. She also lived in another property caught up in the proceedings, a condo building named Trump Park Avenue in New York City. But to fully understand Ivanka's involvement in her father's deceit, it helps to get inside the room where the lying took place. That's exactly where three Forbes journalists were in September of 2015 when Donald Trump hosted them in Trump Tower as part of his quest to climb higher on the Forbes 400 list of America's richest people. Trump spouted off all sorts of nonsense that day, claiming his properties were more profitable, spacious and valuable than they actually were. And in the middle of his pitch, the Republican frontrunner received a phone call. Ivanka, said Trump, my little Ivanka. Nine minutes later, she entered the room. Hi. I was on a construction call with the Doral folks. They're excited you're coming down. That's what Ivanka told her father. Forbes actually did a very nice profile on that project, she said. On Doral, Trump asked. Yeah, Ivanka responded. And with that, the two Trumps were tag teaming a pitch about how much the golf resort was worth. Forbes valued it at about $225 million before debt, which the Trumps deemed far too low. Quote, we'll make $75 million this year, Donald Trump said, even though the property would actually earn $14 million that year. Quote, 150,000 square feet of meeting space, added Ivanka, opting to use a bigger figure than the ones listed in the Trump org's own materials, which said the property included 90,000 square feet of meeting space and her not yet published book, which claimed 100,000 square feet of meeting space. Ivanka then noted that a different Forbes writer had said Doral's land alone was worth at least a billion dollars. 
that was pretty much true. Another journalist, with a knack of golf coverage, had indeed authored a feature in the lifestyle spinoff of Forbes that said the land at Doral was worth close to a billion dollars. But that reporter apparently fell for a classic trick of the Trumps, who had a habit of noting their per-acre price uh, of a smaller parcel and throwing out a puffed-up number of acres, thus leaving the impression that the property must have been more valuable than it actually was. The three journalists inside Trump Tower that day, all specialists in investigating the fortunes of billionaires, were not about to fall for the same ruse. Trump had spent about $150 million in 2012 buying Doral, which is less than 700 acres, according to property records, not the 800 that Ivanka and her father liked to claim. Trump dumped more than $100 million into it, but his renovation didn't seem to boost performance much. By 2015, Doral was earning only 13% more than it had in 2012, according to lending records, justifying the preliminary estimate of $225 million that Forbes number crunchers had calculated after consulting more than half a dozen golf and leisure experts. Quote, we have like no debt on it, Ivanka said, ignoring the $125 million of Deutsche Bank debt that encumbered the property. You guys have it valued, her father started to say, $119 million, cut in Alan Weisselberg, the longtime chief financial officer, rather than $225 million. That's a joke, Ivanka sniffed. Now, later in the conversation, one of the Forbes journalists pointed out that there was a $106 million mortgage against the property, contradicting Ivanka's earlier claim. That might be right, her father conceded, failing to mention the fact that there was a second tranche of $19 million in debt that made the total liabilities against the property $125 million. Quote, you know what we're paying interest on that mortgage, Donald Trump said? 2%. Weisselberg chimed in, less. Ivanka said 1.75%. Her father said, yeah, 1.75%. And in fact, the mortgage rate on the property was 1.75 plus LIBOR. LIBOR is a benchmark that brought the total interest rate to 2.1% in 2015, according to a Trump Organization income statement, later obtained by Forbes. Why twist such small details? Because real estate valuations are composed of a million tiny inputs, square footage, acreage, mortgage balances, etc., that collectively determine what someone like Donald Trump is worth. Ivanka Trump, a devoted daughter, surely knew her father cared to his core about how much money other people thought he had. Contacted for comment, a lawyer for Ivanka did not respond. An attorney for the Trump Organization did not provide answers to a list of questions. Now, Ivanka Trump will have to speak soon enough, though. Donald Trump's three oldest children are all expected to testify this week, with Donald Trump Jr. slated to take the stand Wednesday, followed by Eric Trump Thursday, and it says here Ivanka on Friday, but again, she's been moved from Friday to next week. That weekend break, uh, the case will resume Monday with Donald Trump himself. All right, everybody, stick around. Up next, Lee McGowan, I Am Politics Girl, and Brian Tyler Cohen. They'll be followed by a discussion with the White House National Security Council Deputy Spokesperson, Sean Savette, and then we'll close it out with the good news. So everybody stay with us. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right Hey, everybody, it's me, AG. And you know, I used to wake up every morning with a terrible backache. I, I didn't sleep good. I was tossing and turning a lot of anxiety. I thought it was Trump and the White House and autocratic creep. But it turns out I was sleeping on a mattress made for someone else. That's when I got my custom mattress from Helix Sleep and it changed my world. From the very first night, it felt like this mattress was tailor made for me. Now I wake up feeling better than ever and I'll never go sleeping on an old mattress again. Just go to helixsleep.com slash daily beans. Take their two minute sleep quiz. They'll match it to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life and you'll get 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows. 
Everyone has a different way of sleeping, and Helix knows that, so they offer a variety of mattress models tailored for specific sleep positions and sleep preferences. Helix has 20 unique mattresses in their lineup, including the award-winning Lux Collection and the new... This is so great. This newly released Elite Collection is incredible. Plus, they have options for our big and tall friends and the little ones, too. The key to finding your perfect fit is that Helix Sleep Quiz I was talking about. It's an easy way to find the best mattress that's designed to complement your body and sleep style. Once you place your order, the mattress will be delivered right to your doorstep at no extra cost. I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I like a medium firm mattress and I sleep on my side. This is the best mattress I've had head and shoulders in my whole life. Like there's not even no comparison. And just to make sure you're completely satisfied, Helix offers a 100 night in home trial and a 10 or 15 year warranty. I trust them. So can you. So, Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Thanks for hanging with me through the news while Dana is out. But I am so happy to be joined today by two of my very good friends. Uh, you know her as I Am Politics Girl. It's Lee McGowan and, of course, Brian Tyler Cohen. Hey, everybody. Hey, Allison. Thanks for having us. Hi, Al. How's it going? It's so good to see you, my friends. It is really, (laughs) really good to see you. And the reason that I am talking to you today is because this Friday, November 3rd, there is an event that y'all are hosting called Justice Defended, and it is going to be in Wisconsin. Tell us, uh, let's start with you, Lee. Why are we doing this? What's this about? Why Wisconsin? Well, okay. Anyone who's been following what's been happening in Wisconsin knows that It is a perfect example that Republican extremists are willing to do pretty much anything to hold on to their power. And I think that's why Brian and I are going out to Madison, because we want to join the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, because this party are just such superstars. And despite the complete uphill battle in that state, they have been so hard at work and fighting back. And they're just really the model for what happens when you have an electorate that's engaged and informed and a state party that's prepared and ahead of the game. So this event we're doing is called Justice Defended Live. And it's the celebration of the work that the people of Wisconsin have already done, um, getting Janet Protasiewicz elected and making sure that she's not impeached. Um, But it's also giving us a real opportunity to mobilize support as they're kicking off what's called one year to win. Because as they say, as goes Wisconsin, so goes the nation. And we really care about what happens to the nation. Yeah, and we have we have big things to look forward to in 2024. Obviously, Tammy Baldwin is up for re-election in the Senate, in a Senate map that is increasingly difficult for Democrats. We're defending seats in uh, in some in some not so easy terrain like Montana, West Virginia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Ohio. So that's important, obviously, hanging on to the Senate, hanging on to all of our Senate seats that we currently hold. And also, as Lee alluded to before, I mean, Wisconsin for the presidential election is is the tipping point state every election. And so it's always important to make sure that we win Wisconsin. Wisdoms has been amazing at doing that. Wisdoms has overseen uh, 12 out of 15 wins in the last, you know, 15 statewide elections. And more broadly, I guess it's it's just more important or it's especially important to invest early. Like, so that's why we're going out and, you know, going to a live show in Wisconsin in what I would, in what I would, uh, I guess, uh, say is close to the winter. So a little bit, a little bit masochistic here, but if that's, if anything shows our, our commitment to, uh, to what the folks over at Wisdoms are doing, it's that. But this just kind of, 
hopefully offers something of, I guess, a signal to other state parties that the way we win isn't by waiting until October or November of an election year, but rather if you want to do something a full year out so that we can, you know, set the stage and get the process going so that we can win elections next year, then then let's let's go. Let's do this right now and let's start raising money. Let's start raising awareness and uh, and and set the stage to win these important elections in 24. Yeah. And I've often said Wisconsin, you could be like Michigan, right? You could have that that blue triumvirate, redraw your maps to be fair. And Wisconsin responded, Wisdoms responded and elected Janet Protosiewicz. Talk a little bit, Lee, about what the Republicans in Wisconsin are trying to do to not only undermine, but I think impeach somebody who was duly elected for the specific purpose of making the elections free and fair. The thing that I would say is, uh, is that people need to remember that a state like Wisconsin is kind of the ultimate swing state, because when you look at the voting records in that state, it's actually a clean split, if not Democratic leaning. But those numbers are not at all reflected in their state politics or their policy. And that's because of their four to three far right Supreme Court and the legislature that was a Republican legislature. They've had it for years. So it's that four three uh, far right Supreme Court that drew the last district maps. Right. So the state has six of the eight congressional districts went to Republicans, despite the progressive leading of the state. It's that court that allowed almost every and all form of voter suppression for Wisconsin people. So uh, the Republicans ended up with control of 65 percent of the state house, despite only having at best 50 percent of the vote. Wisconsin is ranked 47th in the nation when it comes to ease of voting. So it's like a very hard state to vote in. And then you have an organization like Wisdoms that says, you know what, even though this is a giant uphill battle, we can make a difference. We can roll this back. And I think that's the kind of stuff we have to remember. If we catch this stuff early enough, if we see the cheating early enough, we can stop it. And for a long time, we weren't paying attention. And that's one of the things that we have to remember that just kind of like not paying attention to politics doesn't mean politics doesn't affect you. It means you can affect it, right? That's why we are going out and celebrating the organization and the work that was done in Wisconsin, because the Wisconsin Republicans were making the exact same move the North Carolina Republicans made to completely disenfranchise their voters, right? The GOP has a majority in both legislative houses, but they wanted the courts too. And they lost that chance. And now this court, this new court with Janet Protasiewicz on it is going to rule on their blatant gerrymandered maps, and it's not going to go in their favor. And so we're actually going to have fair maps going into the next election. And I'm sure everyone heard about the Republicans plan to impeach this new justice. So she couldn't rule on the new maps. And she was like, I'm not stepping down. I'm going to rule on them. So they were like, oh, well, we'll impeach you then. We'll do this. This will be our next thing. And, you know, like you can't just impeach someone for the crime of like not letting you blindly take over your state. Right. So uh, they backed down and they backed down because of the work that was done to draw attention to what they were trying to do. They stepped away from this plan because people were actually outraged. They were paying attention and they could see that the voters weren't going to let them just get away with it. And I think that's what we have to do all over the country. And it's one of the reasons Brian and I are going to go out to Wisconsin to say these guys are doing it right. Let's do it everywhere. It, it also helps, too, that that you know, in terms of them backing off of this plan, it was a completely baseless, unconstitutional, extrajudicial Ridiculous. effort to to do that. I mean, 
So that we're clear, it is not illegal for her to have gone out on the campaign trail and spoken about the general issues that were, you know, the dangers of gerrymandering. That's not illegal. It never has been illegal. When you have judges who are going to be elected in states, which certain states allow, Wisconsin being one of them, they're expected, not just allowed to, but expected to talk about issues. And Wisconsin's blatantly gerrymandered maps is one of the issues that's obviously a major issue that's present in politics today. So no, it is not illegal by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, these Republicans knew that. They wouldn't have gone forward to Lee's point had there not been this massive pressure campaign. So I think that's what helped. And hopefully other states can see what happened in Wisconsin and kind of take those cues. And Brian, let's talk about another issue, too, um, because we know the gerrymandered maps was one. But so so is access to reproductive health care. Talk about what wisdoms are doing with regard to that. Yeah, so so that's a great question. Um, I think very importantly, uh, as of this past September, I know there was an 1849 law on the books that had banned abortion uh, statewide. As of September, the reproductive health care has resumed in the state, at least in Madison and Milwaukee. And so I think more importantly, I mean, look, in terms of the work that Wisdoms has done, Tony Evers is the governor of Wisconsin, and he's made sure that, you know, abortion protections and re- women's reproductive health care can have like a home in Wisconsin. And so because we have these blocks to Republican efforts to stop this stuff from moving forward, uh, that's why we're seeing abortion protections and women's reproductive rights move in the right direction in Wisconsin, as opposed to these other states where Republicans are taking control. And obviously those protections are getting whittled away. Yeah, the Dems in Wisconsin, one of the most impactful and, and successful endeavors that I've seen in politics in a very long time. And it's it's worth celebrating. What Brian was saying just reminded me that, you know, we have the upcoming election in both Virginia and Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, abortion rights are on the ballot in both of those states. And it's just essential. All the tricks, man. I know all the tricks that are happening. And so people have to know, even if you're not from Wisconsin, if you're in Ohio right now and you can vote, if you're in Virginia right now and you can vote, get out and vote because the Republicans are being very, very clear from the House all the way down that they're going to take every right women have to their own bodies and just take it right off the table. We are going to be beholden to our states and we won't have any access to our own health care. And so you can vote right now in those two states to uphold this right to your own body. Yeah. And and check your voter roll. Check your voter registration, because we've had we've heard from Ohio. They were they quietly removed thousands of people from the voter rolls. Same things are going on in Virginia, North Carolina. Like, check your voter registration. Hey, Brian, talk about some of the things that you're going to go over this Friday in Wisconsin. Like, what, what does this look like? I'm so excited for this. Yeah. So this is uh, Lee and I's first live show, I believe. Is that right, Lee? <laughs> yes. First live show yes. for people who are, are otherwise have made a career for themselves by sitting in a, in a quiet room alone and uh, and just uh, staring into a, a lonely teleprompter, a lonely camera. But we'll, you know, we'll be going over the importance of kind of, well, focusing first of all on the importance of having stayed engaged and involved. And to Lee's earlier point, Wisconsin and Wisdoms is what happens when you have an electorate that's engaged and informed um, and how that's kind of benefited the state in terms of protecting their Supreme Court judge who, uh, again, is going to have massive down, downstream impacts on the maps and on uh, abortion rights and uh, any other cases that come before the court. We'll also be speaking about uh, what we're going to do moving forward and just the importance of investing, uh, investing this time and energy and money in uh, in this election, you know, as we head into 2024. So, uh, Lee, is there anything else that I'm missing here? No, the goal is, you know, we're just we're we're drawing attention to the idea that we can't allow people 
who can't win to continue to rig the game. And we have to be vigilant and we have to do what the Wisconsin Democrats have done. We have to organize and strategize and inspire people and then have people come out like en masse to vote against this kind of corruption because it just cannot continue. And even though Brian and I are introverts that work by ourselves all day long, we're going to come out and have some fun with people and remind ourselves that we are humans in the world and we're going to do something more fun when we are actually kind of serious people sometimes. And at the end of the day, like, this is the Republicans plan to win, not through votes, but by rigging the game. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm not having it. Wisdoms isn't having it. And, you know, when especially when the Republican leadership comes down to the loss of women's rights and the criminalization of LGBTQ people and apparently Christian nationalism and everything that comes with that from bigotry to book bans. And so I would say, like, because we're on news with swearing, like, no fucking thank you. I'm not having it. <laughs> Appreciate that. And also, it's they're, they're not afraid uh, of broadcasting it either. I mean, if you look at who they just elected as the Speaker of the House, all the way up to the second in line to the presidency, these people are openly like embracing the Christo-fascist nationalism and this this you know wholesale denial of women's rights, this wholesale denial of anybody who you know basically isn't isn't a, a Christian Republican in this country. And so uh, I think it's important to kind of. As long as they want to uh, elevate these people into positions of power, as long as they want to embrace the election denialism and the abject outright fascism, then you'll have, you know, folks like Wisdoms and, and us to the extent that we can help and, and you and everybody else in our ecosystem kind of continuing to push forward and from a grassroots level and making sure that this stuff is rebuked every step of the way. And just like they, they got rebuked in 2020 and then in midterms in 2022. And now as we head into 2024, uh, we'll just keep doing it as they want to continue embracing uh, all of like the kind of anti-democratic measures that they've been embracing. All right. So Madison, Wisconsin, Friday, November 3rd, 7 p.m. local time, central time. Uh, Lee, how can people uh, go to this event if they would like to? I think the easiest way uh, to join us either online or in person is to go to wisdoms.org. You can buy tickets and get the details there. Uh, if you want to attend in person, you'll receive a confirmation email that just acts as the ticket for the event. If you want to join the live stream, then you just RSVP by donating whatever you can, a dollar, a thousand dollars, whatever you want. And you can get a confirmation email with the link to the live stream page. And then on that page, you enter your name, you enter your email, you're in, and you'll join us and you'll watch as introverts attack. <laughs> When introverts attack. <laughs> when introverts attack. <laughs> Amazing. I, I look forward to watching this and, and, and cheering you on and cheering on wisdoms. Just what an incredible organization. And thank you for doing it. Uh, Lee McGowan, Brian Tyler Cohen, uh, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Al. All right, everybody, stick around. I have a great conversation with the deputy spokesperson for the White House National Security Council about funding Ukraine right after this break, Mr. Sean Savet. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm honored today to be joined by the deputy spokesperson for the White House National Security Council, Sean Savette. Hi, Sean. How are you? Hey, Allison. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be on the podcast. I appreciate you coming on and talking to us about this because I want everybody to kind of be clear about the series of events that unfolded over the past uh, couple of weeks. You know, we've been trying to uh, fund Ukraine and we we're talking about the 24 billion or or even bumping it up to 60 billion to cover them for a year. And then that was packaged in a bill that was proposed to Congress by the president. He announced it in his primetime Oval Office address. Can you talk a little bit about what President Biden proposed to Congress? Sure. So it's a, it's a really important uh, proposal to advance our national security interests. Uh, the, as the 
take a step back for a moment just to remind your viewers, over uh, the past year and a half, under President Biden's leadership, we've rallied the world to respond to Putin's invasion of Ukraine and to respond to all the brutality, the atrocities, the war crimes that we've seen Russian forces commit. And uh, we've uh, created this, this broad global coalition. And Ukraine's now at this, this really critical juncture where, uh, as, as you all know, you know, they won the battle for Kyiv, they've won the battles for Kharkiv and for Kherson and, uh, and uh, the eastern part of Ukraine. And they're now in a, in a real fight to try to take back some more of their sovereign territory. And at the same time, we're seeing Russia launch renewed offenses in the, uh, the northeast of, uh, of Ukraine. And, and it's clear that Putin uh, still wants to take over Ukraine. And, and if we, we let him do it, you know, then it's a question of will he stop there? I mean, we know that he's long, uh, he's long uh, wanted to recreate the, uh, the the Soviet Union. And we have a lot of NATO allies, the border Ukraine and the border Russia that, you know, we certainly, uh, certainly uh, don't want to see Putin uh, try to try to attack. And so, you know, that was the context of the, uh, the, the address that President uh, Biden delivered. And especially it also came several days after uh, we saw Hamas just commit this utterly appalling and atrocious a uh, terrorist attack that claimed the lives of more than 1,400 people, including, uh, I believe it's now 34 Americans. And uh, they've also taken more than 230 people hostage, potentially including 10 Americans as well. And then this is just, you know, the, the images that we all saw and, and broadcast on, on TV and, and, and read about it just, just really, really hit, uh, I think, so many of us hard. And, and so, you know, we've seen, while these two conflicts are very different, uh, there's a lot of commonalities there. I mean, both both Putin and Hamas, they want to annihilate neighboring democracies. And uh, we, we just can't let them do that. It's incredibly important for our national security. And if you want to look at it from a cost perspective, you know, the cost of, of doing nothing and letting, you know, a, dicta a dictator in Europe try to conquer and carve up his neighbor's territory or and letting a terrorist group win and... and you know, terrorize uh, democracy in the Middle East, especially a very close ally. It's just not something that the United States should stand for. And, and so that was uh, what President Biden spoke to the uh, the nation about in that, that primetime address. Uh, he spoke about why this matters to the American people, that even though these conflicts are, you know, halfway around the world, they, you know, they, they're incredibly important to our daily lives. And so he put forward this, uh, you know, the supplemental funding request for Congress that uh, as they, you know, with the new Speaker of the House now, look forward to funding the government for the rest of the year but, and, and preventing a government shutdown, which is is a possibility in a couple of weeks. You know, we, we want to make sure that we also are continuing to invest in the American industrial base and continue to, to create jobs by producing weapons here that uh, can go to Ukraine that are, are being used on the front lines for freedom, that we are helping Ukraine defend against uh, Putin's invasion, that we're also providing humanitarian assistance to people who've been displaced displaced the millions uh, by this this war in Europe, but also by to the to the several million people in Gaza right now, uh, many of whom have absolutely no affiliation with Hamas whatsoever and are really suffering as a result of this conflict. And so we, we want to make sure that, um, that Israel can continue to defend itself, uh, replenishing their Iron Dome to protect uh, their people from, from these rocket attacks we're seeing launched by Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad and other terror groups. We also want to make sure that we can continue to support our allies in the Indo-Pacific uh, as we face with a rising China. And so these are some of the, the many really important national security priorities uh, that President Biden laid out and certainly are hoping for, for Congress's support.
Yeah. And I mean, they're all fundamentally connected, particularly to our national security. Russia just Putin just hosted leaders of Hamas and Hezbollah. There's a lot of partnership there um, with Iran. We've got, you know, North Korea partnership partnering. And and then, of course, China's got its eye on what happens in Ukraine with its, you know, own eyes on Taiwan. And so, I mean, all of these things are connected. And I've, you know, I've long said that that funding Ukraine is funding Israel. And, you know, I was just out there. We did a we did a a press conference with some members of Congress at the Capitol with Vote Vets, which is an organization that I absolutely love and support. And, you know, the the point, the talking point there was, hey, this is less than five percent of our defense budget will go to help defeat our biggest enemy uh, and the enemy biggest enemy to democracy. I think this this sort of axis of evil that's that's starting to take take shape. And, you know, I mean, if what's our defense budget for? If I like I'd be happy spending half our defense budget to to not put a boot, an American boot on the ground and and help uh, Ukraine defeat terrorism and, and autocracy. So talk a little bit about the the national security implications of of separating these out because we know recently Mike Johnson um, speaker of the house now speaker of the house met with POTUS met with the president and apparently I we I didn't really hear how that meeting went but it sounds like Mike Johnson now wants to separate all these out yeah and you you make a number of really important points there Allison and I I just would say immediately you're you're exactly right that the world is watching what happens in Ukraine they're watching what happens in Israel and they're they're taking note that I I certainly don't think Vladimir Putin ever thought that the United States was going to rally this global coalition and build more than 50 countries to come together to support Ukraine. He, he thought he'd be able to carve up Ukraine in a number of days and a couple of weeks and the world would sit back and do nothing. And President Biden and, and the people of America showed him wrong. And uh, it's critical that we continue to, to prove him wrong in this case and, and prove to Putin that he's made another terrible assumption and that he should just pick up his things and pick up his troops and withdraw out of Ukraine. And the, the world is watching then what happens there, because you're right, as we, we look at the Indo-Pacific and we look at China and, and you know, the uh, possibility of, uh, of tensions uh, with the Taiwan Strait, you know, we, you know, China's paying attention to what happens in Ukraine. Uh, other would-be dictators and tyrants and uh, conquerors are certainly paying attention to see if uh, the world will falter and let Putin take over Ukraine or, you know, will they uh, have the green light then potentially try to take over their own neighbors? That uh, This is uh, absolutely a fundamentally important question that we're that we're faced with. And that's why, you know, the reason President Biden proposed grouping these several key national security priorities together is because they are key national security priorities. And I, yes, we absolutely need um, funding to support the people of Israel right now as they're faced with a, uh, a terrorist threat and as they, they root out Hamas. But we also need to make sure that we are not dropping humanitarian aid from that bill, which is something that the president proposed, but uh, we're hearing congressional Republicans may not include in their uh, their proposal. And, and that would be a terrible, terrible shame, considering, you know, you have millions of people in, in Gaza who are suffering again through no fault of their own, who have no affiliation with Hamas. And we need to make sure that humanitarian aid continues to reach them, which is something that Prime Minister Netanyahu is committed to President Biden, that, that President Sisi of Egypt is committed to to making sure that we can uh, continue to reopen that uh, border crossing between uh, Gaza and Egypt to get humanitarian aid flowing. That's a, a really important priority that this bill would would fund. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously Ukraine, we, we've talked at length about. We also have border security provisions in there. Uh, we have uh, uh, funding requests in there to provide countries in the developing world with an alternative to these coercive 
uh, loans that the People's Republic of China is, is putting out with this, uh, this Dalton Road Initiative, which um, uh, you know, I know President Biden has called the the Debt and News Initiative, which uh, will uh, you know they they offer these these loans to developing countries with uh, very high interest rates, and and it's really coercive financing. And and the key part of our soft power as America is is to be able to to build allies and, and to to make friends. And and one way to do that is to offer these uh, low cost. Uh, low-cost loans that will not saddle them with debt, well, but will help increase global prosperity for econ- economic growth that helps us here at home as well. And we see the benefits of what allies are for when uh, when we have priorities here, like you know supporting Ukraine again. And we can we can uh, ask countries around the world to come to uh, Ukraine's aid because it's incredibly important for our national security and and because they they view being allied with the U.S. as a good thing, they will come to Ukraine's aid as well. Um, those are those are really important things, and and to, to separate them off would just you know it, it really would uh, risk you know weakening those national security priorities and, and leaving some critical things behind. So we're asking Congress to to move forward uh, by uh, with a you know with a, a vote that passes them all. Uh, this is something that I know many Republicans in the in the Senate and have voiced support for, and that there are many Republican members of the House as well that continue to voice their support for Ukraine. So we. We certainly do not want to see this this bill get stripped down and uh, only some of it pass and, you know, the rest of our critical priorities be left behind. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm I see I can see patterns sometimes. And, you know, way long, a long time ago, 2016, uh, Donald Trump pressured Manafort to change the uh, the Republican platform language to kind of go easy on on Ukraine and and weaponize you know giving giving weapons to Ukraine that's these ch- change that language right and a lot of uh, republicans kind of pushed back on that but it ended up happening then he violated the impoundment control act by withholding aid to Ukraine in order to shake down president zelensky to get him to say he was investigating his political opponent then he had that whole shadow policy group the you know the the that we called him the clown posse, but, you know, the Ukraine clown posse, I think, was the nickname that we gave them. Right. But, you know, Rudy Giuliani and everybody trying to to run their own shadow policy, kicking uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman off of uh, being uh, the Ukraine expert there and disinviting him to these trips. And now he's the architect of getting this speaker elected who wants to defund Ukraine. And he gave a speech today that said he if he were president when he's president, you know, when he wins in 2024, that he's not going to defend NATO. Uh, and so I, I don't know, is there any indication that the chaos in the House and this particular election for Speaker was a feature and not a bug? It seems like it, it's part of a, a larger attempt not to just only defund Ukraine, but to get a lot of the, the policy they want passed or, or blocked. But that, that seems like a longtime goal of this particular party. Sure. Uh, well, I have to be careful not to talk about 2024 because of the Hatch Act. But I, I will say that um, you know we've uh, that we've seen one of the priorities for President Biden has been expanding and strengthening the NATO alliance, and that alliance is, is critical for America's national security, and it's it's critical for European security and the world security. And we've uh, thanks in no small part to, to the president's leadership, but also to um, to the changing security environment in, in Europe. We've had. One new member, Finland, was a very capable, strong military join join NATO. And we're on the verge of having uh, a second uh, member, Sweden, be welcomed in. And those would be uh, really important gains that would strengthen America's security, to giving us two critical partners. And your your listeners, I know you know, Allison, but your listeners may remember also that 
after 9-11, NATO allies came to our aid. They, they fought with us in Afghanistan. Um, and if the United States were attacked again, we, we have treaty alliances where we would expect our, our NATO allies to come to our aid, just like we are treaty bound to come to theirs. That's an, an incredibly important commitment that, as President Biden says, is ironclad. And that's, uh, that's not something we can walk away from. Uh, that would sacrifice America's credibility in the world, our, our leadership role, and, and that, that so many, um, so many decades of American policy have worked to build. Uh, and that plays, pays real dividends to the United States people too. It keeps us safe and secure. And so, you know, I, I'll just say that speaking for the Biden administration, our, our policy is absolutely to strengthen NATO and to, uh, to work to expand it rather than, uh, rather than try to, to walk back these, these critical gains that have uh, kept some, you know, kept us secure for so long. Yeah, it's it's critical that we are a trustworthy partner in these treaties that we that mm-hmm. we uh, that we are part of. Um, one last thing, Matt Gates put out a tweet today that said, "Israel is a land with a four thousand year connection to our faith. Ukraine is a former Soviet state. These are not the same thing and should be considered separately." Um, besides, just being factually incorrect, uh, what's your response to to that kind of message? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it misses the mark in so many ways. It erases, uh, you know, a, a nation with tens of millions of people's sovereignty, their their sense of independence. Uh, you know, you talk to any Ukrainian and you ask them, do they, do they identify as a, a former member of the Soviet Union or do they remember, identify as a Ukrainian? And, and you know, I, I think you uh, you might be careful for the type of reaction you'll get there because, uh, you know, I, I never met a Ukrainian who identifies as anything other than a proud Ukrainian national. Uh, and, and so just to try to erase it in other countries' independence like that, just like Vladimir Putin is trying to do, is, is really, really just wrong-headed. And uh, we've, we've got to pass Ukraine funding. We've got to pass Israel funding. We've got to pass humanitarian aid. We've, we've, this, is, this is incredibly important for, uh, you know, for our national security. And again, it's, it's also important for our economy because the, the weapons that are being used in Ukraine right now on the front lines of this, this fight for freedom and independence and, and these values that you know, matter to so many Americans, those are weapons, many of them that are being made in America, that are being produced uh, by companies that support American jobs. That because of the uh, the work we've been doing to support Ukraine, we've been restarting production lines here. We can bring people back to work. We've been producing more ammunition, and we've been uh, and we've been. Uh, and there's actually a, a point that Leader Mitch McConnell on the Senate likes to talk about, where Ukraine funding actually supports jobs in 38 states, and that's a, a very important thing too. When we talk about the economic impact of it, so when we're asking for more funding to to help Ukraine. What we're actually asking for is more funding to support American jobs that will create American-made weapons that then can be used on the front lines of uh, of Ukraine as they defend their independence and they defend their freedom against Russian brutality and aggression because we just have to send the message that in the 21st century, in 2023, we cannot allow a brutal dictator to try to carve up or conquer their neighbor's territory. That is just not who we are as Americans, and that is not the message we want to send to the world right now at this perilous moment. Okay. And last word, are you optimistic that we'll get Ukraine funding or Indo-Pacific or border funding passed? Because, I mean, if they put to put forth a, a I guess, a, a, an Israel only bill, the, the Democrats aren't going to be allowed to oppose that. So if we pass just that, is what, what are your do you think that we have the votes to, to pass Ukraine funding? Well, I know the votes are there. Absolutely. I mean, there is strong bipartisan support overwhelmingly in the Senate. And there is a strong bipartisan majority in the House that supports Ukraine funding and that supports each of the uh, individual uh, pieces of funding that the president proposed. I, I don't want to 
I get too far ahead with predictions because it's still early. We're waiting to see exactly what the speaker, uh, what the new speaker's move will be, you know, what his first bill will be. But even then, that's likely to be some type of opening, uh, opening bet or opening gambit that will then go through negotiations with both parties. We'll go through negotiations in the back and forth with the Senate. And so we'll see where things end up, but we know what's critically important. And we believe that if they were to put this supplemental vote uh, package for a vote up, it would pass. And so we, we certainly want them to do just that. All right. Well, everybody write and call your representative and senator and tell them you want all of this to be passed. Thank you for explaining the national security implications for us. Deputy spokesperson for the White House National Security Council, Sean Savette. Thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure and hope to be back again. All right, everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, good news. And if you have good news, confessions, corrections, what the mutt, opine on the bovine, what the hequine, uh, find the cat, whatever you want to send to us, I will guess your animals breed. I love that. Um, I even did a turtle one time. I got the red-eared slider right. That's fun. Um, I don't know what the name for that game is. <laughs> we'll come up with one. If you have a shout out for a, to a loved one or um, yourself, like if you want to tell me what's something great that you did this week, I want to hear about it. Your theses and dissertation titles, pod pet tax. If you don't have pod pet tax, you can send an adoptable pet in your area. Shout out to a small business in, the, in your area or your small business. Want to know what you're making or creating or, you know, your happy place. We could frog orgies, uh, baby pictures, whatever you want to send to us please send it in. We need your good news in the next couple of weeks. You can send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. All right. First up from Dana, pronouns she and her. Bug swallowing story. A few years ago, I decided to attend a friend's wedding, even though there was a chance I might run into the nightmare that is my ex-boyfriend. The story has a happy ending, though. On the last day of the weekend, he was in the gas station and had the audacity to come over and start talking to me like we were old friends. And not that he was verbally and physically abusive for two years. As I opened my mouth to, to air his ass out, a bug flew into my mouth, which caused me to start gagging and coughing. My husband had finished paying for our gas and turned to see what was happening. I guess the combination of my emotions and gagging from the bug made me puke right on my ex-boyfriend's shoes. And what makes it funnier is that he's the type of dude who loves his shoes and cars more than his significant other. He stormed off looking like he might cry, and the employees were staring with confused looks. I yell in the middle of the aisle, holy shit, I just puked on my ex's new J's. <laughs> they cheered and clapped for me. <laughs> That's fucking fantastic, Dana. Thank you for that. Next up from Anonymous, pronouns she and her. Oh, this puppers. Last year, I had to say goodbye to my sweet girl, Sloan. Listening to you, AG, be so open about the loss of your beloved cat really helped me process this difficult time with our fur babies. So thank you. I've decided the best way to honor my girl is to foster. I met Penny, but she's not the right fit. I'm hoping someone listening might be the right foster or adopter. She's in the north suburbs of Chicago at Orphans of the Storm. Please feel free to play What the Mutt, but you win because I don't know. Okay, this is easy. American Bulldog with a little pity and some Dalmatian. And that's what I declare. What a beautiful baby. Everybody get that? North Chicago suburbs, Orphans of the Storm. Beautiful, beautiful dog available for adoption. Next up is Susan. 
It's bittersweet season for gardeners just trying to tidy up before the Minnesota snow blankets us all for months. After I dismantled my flower boxes and a few pots of beautiful plants, I went to the nearby city compost site this afternoon. It was jam-packed with cooperative gardeners making their autumnal sacrificial contributions to a massive pile of leaves and whatnot. It felt pretty groovy to me to and took the sting away from having to leave my plants in that pile. That is pretty great, Susan. Oh, look at the moo cows and the beautiful flowers. Oh, lovely. Thank you for sharing that. These are beautiful photos. Oh, there's some snow <laughs> with a doggo. Yeah, man, I moved out of the snow a long time ago. I don't know how y'all do it. All right, next up from Adriano from Wild... Oh, Wild Peccaries. You gave my shop, Wild Peccaries, on Etsy a shout-out when my mom wrote to you. The response was stunning. I want to let you know that my shop is having a cyber sale, 30% off, lots of new inventory and great gifts, and lots of music. My mom listens to you every day, and we're so glad that you're standing against the destruction of our democracy, so thank you. We have a link in the show notes to the Etsy shop. It's etsy.com slash shop slash wild peccaries, P-E-C-C-A-R-I-E-S. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Thank you so much for that. I'm so glad. Uh, and uh, continued luck throughout the holiday season. Next up, Adam, pronouns he and him. Hey, AG, I was motivated to write after your story about Kentucky's Governor Andy Bashir and his brilliant school voucher debate. Today marks one year to the day since I stopped teaching. It's been a hell of a year. Your argument against vouchers as privatizing education was made with such a fine point. More of my fellow Hoosiers need to understand exactly how toxic vouchers have been on the school system here in Indiana. This malicious action uh, by our own lawmakers is a huge part of my exit from the profession. Besides that, I wanted to just put out a word of encouragement to your listeners. My exit from teaching happened on a Tuesday when I couldn't get out of bed. I saw the path my life was heading down and a friend's close brush with that same darkness showed me I had to make a change. It's been a year of journaling, therapy and couples counseling. It's been a year that has stressed me and my very supportive wife and my chosen family to the brink. These days, I find myself working at a nonprofit that supports one of the largest parks in the country. I get to work with people, and you're damn right that my eight and a half years of physics teaching translates to marketing and program coordinator just fine. It's been a year where I have found so much joy. Today, to celebrate this trip around the sun, I went for a walk by myself without listening to a podcast or music. I just admired the enormous 300-year-old trees in my neighborhood. I felt so comfortable being alone with myself in a way I never have before. I just want your listeners to know that it's worth it to start putting yourself first and to take care of yourself. For pet tax, our boys Earl and Brad, <laughs> Brad's a great name, Brad sitting up and Earl laying down. I've also included a photo I took on my walk. I call it the Uncanny Valley. AG, thank you for being a huge part of the last year. Wow. Excellent, Adam. Thank you for that post. And you're so right. It's sometimes really hard to just sit with yourself. But after a while, you really get good at letting those negative thoughts just float right by. Oh, beautiful Tabby. I had a cat that looked like that named Ned. He had he was just exactly like that, except he had a black freckle on his nose. Oh, there's the other one. Hey, sweetie. <laughs> so cute. Oh, great photo. I love watching the leaves change. We don't really get that much out here in California, but all my friends sending me photos of the changing leaves all across the Midwest and back east. I just love that. I love looking at that. Thank you, everybody, so much for sending these in. I really, really need these 
Um, and I know that I've gotten so many letters and messages from listeners, from members of the Leguminati who are like, the, the good news is so important. Thank you for having it. So please keep sending in your good news stories. You can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Thanks to Lee McGowan, Brian Tyler Cohen, and Sean Savette for joining me today. We've got a lot more beans this week, so hang in there. Dana will be back tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health, take care of your family, vote blue over Q, and bring someone with you. I've been AG, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis' first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.